0: Hi, I'm Emily Bellet, the founder of Vespot.com, a thriving community that financially empowers women and author of the Amazon bestseller You're Not Broke, You're Pre Rich. And this is The Wallet. The Wallet is here to help you make better financial decisions by talking honestly about money. I'll be sharing my best tips. Inspiring you to take charge of your financial futures and talking to an array of awesome guests from all walks of life. Employees, freelancers, entrepreneurs and money experts. It's likely that when you start a business, you will need some money to get up and running. You might initially need to invest in equipment or stock or maybe you've grown your business to a point where you need some cash to be able to scale to the next level. When it comes to getting money into your business there are so many options out there from bootstrapping getting a loan or grant crowdfunding to finding angel investors but it can be hard to know where to start how to navigate the process and how to know which direction is best for your business joining me today is fleur emery startup expert and founder of real work an online co-working space for women fleur has a wealth of experience when it comes to raising funds for businesses And today she shares with me 10 practical ways you can take money into your small business. We take a look at what options are available. We break down some of the jargon associated with each one and look at both the pros and cons to give you an idea of which would could work for you. I hope you enjoy it. I also wanted to let you know that we are not financial advisors, so the articles, the information made available on Vespot.com and in this podcast are provided just for educational purposes and do not constitute financial advice. So make sure you consult with an independent financial advisor for advice on your specific circumstances. Hi Fleur, how are you today? Happy to be here, nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you. It's good to have a chat after you know, chatting on Instagram. It's been so a while. So I wanted to have you on the podcast today because you're the startup expert. And I had so many questions for you about taking money into your business. I mean, a lot of questions that I had when I started and I that I still have today. There's so many different options, but it's quite hard to navigate. So hopefully today we're going to have a, we have a very good structure because you did that on your Instagram. So I know exactly what to ask you and I know what you want to talk about, which is fab. (laughs) Ten slides I did. I,
1: I, I got lots of people always ask me about it. How do I get money in? And lots of people get off on the wrong foot. So I thought. I'm going to clear it up once and for all and I'm going to do 10 slides so I put this slide up saying 10 ways to take money into your business got loads of engagement and then slowly as the 10 slides posted day after day my engagement went I'm down tired. and down everyone sort of <laughs> fell asleep slumped at the desk but you know I think it's a useful resource and it's good to have a sort of a grassroots level view of it you know often people end up getting information about this stuff from lenders from banks and things like that and it's just not it's just not relevant so all the advice that I give out in real work and on Instagram is from experience I'm familiar personally with every single way of getting money into a small business I've done them all that's
0: amazing. So maybe we'll start with your experience. Can you tell us a bit more about your background and what's your experience? Because for me, you're a serial entrepreneur. You're also working actually with entrepreneurs and coaching uh, businesses, mostly early stage, if yes. I'm right. So maybe yes. you can tell us you know, where you come from and what you Can I tell before? you what I did before I started my first business?
1: You're going to yes, like please. this. Yes. I see your face now. We're recording. I play poker for a living. Like that. <laughs> I like it. So, um, side hustle, yeah. full time job. <laughs> it was, yeah. I mean, I funded myself for over a year playing cards, mostly live in sort of semi illegal clubs that sadly don't exist anymore. And in the early days of online poker as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I did that. And then, um, I about 15 years ago, I started a porridge company with my sister. And the reason that's kind of interesting is to founders now is that that was really in the sort of gold rush of small businesses. The internet sort of barely existed. You couldn't hook up with other people. There was no crowdfunding. The banks weren't lending. I mean, there really weren't that many independent businesses. And we started making this porridge product at home, had a rush of blood to the head and said, oh, let's get it in supermarkets. Every single person we came across said, you can't do that. It's not possible. We ignored them and we flew by the seat of our pants and made loads of mistakes. And we got it in Waitrose and on British Airways and on Eurostar. And it was just had had an absolute blast. It was absolutely great fun. And I mean, that was with homemade branding, homemade everything. We literally didn't know what we were doing. Marvellous. Had a second startup, which was much more professional using kind of the lessons that I'd learned from the first one, which is a craft beer company called Green and Pleasant. Um, which again did really well. It became the house lager at the Ritz Hotel. It was written up in wallpaper magazine. It was pretty great, pretty great. So I had those two startups in food and drink. Um, I coached other businesses along the way. Don't really call myself a coach and I've never kind of marketed myself as a coach, but I got paid to answer questions for other people's businesses and sort of, you know, tell them, you know, if you do this, this is what happens. I'm yeah, I'm not like a trained coach and I don't sort of give people life advice. But if you want to know how to find a um, sausage manufacturer, you pay me, I'll tell you. <laughs> so did that sort of for 15 years and then was about to start another big food company a couple of years ago and then changed my mind. Got cold feet. Had I'd had a kid and realised I just kind of lost my bite and I didn't want to scale another business. It was too tiring, too much of my hard work. So I kind of went on Instagram and I sort of only a year ago, I hadn't been on social media before that and sort of crashed onto Instagram, made a load of mistakes, sort of tried on a few different personas, pressed the button, saw what happened, made a few online courses and just got chatting to people about their businesses and what they were doing. And then in um, lockdown, I kind of had this, brainwave I was sort of thinking previously the people who'd actually hired me and still do sometimes are businesses that have investment and can afford to pay me a lot of money and I just thought well I'm speaking to all these people who have smaller businesses and freelancers how can I give them what they need how can I support them so I had a kind of crazy moment and set up an online co-working space on a slack group and using Thinkific the online course software And it's gone absolutely gangbusters and I love it. And now we've got 80 real workers who are talking and supporting each other in Slack. It's a democratic group. Everyone brings their experience and their questions and buys things off each other and shares with each other. And we learn stuff once a week, either off me or outside people. It's super, I absolutely love it as you can hear. It's called real work. Real work, yeah. The name was partly to do with the fact that it's for women. Everything about the business, the tech, the branding, the members, the support staff, everything is women. There's no men involved. And it's partly because in my 15-year career before, I did get kicked around by rich blokes. And often what I did was not considered real work. And so I'm here to say, yes, women,
0: it is real work. (laughs) And I'm going to support you to do it. That's really cool. You should definitely check it out. But today, Fleur, I want you to talk about money. Great. (laughs) I know you like, you've been posting a little bit about about money. This is so important. I mean, especially, you know, solopreneur, first time entrepreneur, early stage entrepreneur. I mean, I started Vespod literally with my own savings. It didn't cost me much, just, you know, set up a Squarespace website, MailChimp, trying to use like all the the online tools, but it's not the only way obviously to, uh, you know, to start your business. You usually, I mean, very quickly, you will need money for your business, but it depends what you do. I guess for your porridge company, you needed a lot more money than, uh, you know, for your courses yeah. or maybe for, for real work. So maybe today we'll go through like the 10 practical like, ways, like the real ways where, you know, to get money for your, for your business. Yes. So should we start with, you know, bootstrapping Uh, and and we'll, we'll give you like the, you know, pros and cons of each and and maybe it's a journey. So you'll start with one, you'll end up with, with the other, you can use different tools, but at least you're, you're very clear on, on the different ways.
1: So bootstrapping, or um, as I like to call it, going down the back of the sofa, Um, (laughs) that kitchen drawer, (laughs) try and unblock the potato masher, unlock that drawer and see if there's um, any Christmas money that you've forgotten about. I know that using your savings or the little amount of money that you've got squirreled away is scary. You need to do it. There's no way around it. You need to spend your own money first, and these are the reasons. First of all, you'll be more careful with it. You'll spend it more wisely. Second of all, when a business is very early stage, what you have to understand is that if you do, if, first of all, you can't really take money from people you won't know, they won't give it to you. Second of all, if you are clever enough to extract money from someone you don't know, you'll just get terrifically bad value because your business is so risky at this point because actually it's basically an idea. That's not to say not do it. And it's not to say I don't believe that you can do it. You know, I'm the absolute champion of women with ideas and I'm behind you every step of the way, but I'm not going to put my money on it until you have ticked off some of the um, sort of de-risking tasks that you need to do. So, for example, with Vespal when you had an idea, it's a great idea. You know, we look at you and we can say, you know, you're great on screen. You're really knowledgeable. You speak well. It's a great idea. We know that there's a need. All of those things tick, tick, tick. That's stage one. Now what we do is we look for evidence to see that there's an audience, you know, you start talking to people, see how they respond. you start moving forward slowly, and every step that you take, every sort of traffic light that turns green, is an incremental step towards de-risking the business and increasing its potential value to someone else putting money in. And it's just really important to know that. I mean, I talk a lot about you know the Dragon's Den hideous program that me and my sister were on, you know years ago. And, you know, the Simon Cowell effect of how we think about these things. There's a culture of passivity around a kind of infantilization around the ideas of business and investment, whereby we think if we have an idea that's good enough, if we're talented enough, some man like Simon Cowell is going to come along and give us money to support us. And it's just not like that. And even when you see deals being made on the telly, if you actually calculate what their business is being valued at it's obviously it's often just not very much at all and the way the way you can kind of work it out is if you think someone wants to give you 50 grand for 25 percent of your business you might think oh wow because you know you've been working as a nail technician you've been earning 20 grand a year so you just think oh wow you know he's giving me that but say you know you Your business completely takes off, and you invent some way of doing nails that Rihanna starts doing. You can have a business that's worth twenty million pounds, and they're twenty five percent. So for fifty grand, you know he's got five million pounds that could be money that is a legacy that you know you can spend on people you care about. So for a thousand reasons you need to go down the back of the sofa don't dream about being just given an enormous amount of money at the beginning keep things the right size and concentrate on the matter at hand the other reason i think it's really good not to be distracted by other people saying oh i got investment i got investment early stages is half the people don't know what they're talking about and they don't understand what they're saying so first of all when they say that and Second of all, it distracts you from the matter at hand, which is proving your concept, you know, honing your craft, growing your business, engaging with your audience, finding your customers, listening to your customers. That's what you need to be doing early doors. And typically what happens in my experience is that a project either takes on a life of its own, it kind of either grows or it doesn't. It sort of drags along the bottom until you're tied, it's tied, and you stop doing it and do something else. And if you know so, you just put as much money in that it needs to just sort of stay alive and just to sort of try it out. You're you're asking a question, really, early stage. You're asking a question. And you have the luxury now, which I didn't have, of electronically through different platforms of being able to access an enormous amount of potential customers and ask them what they want. Fantastic. That's free. You know, that didn't exist before. We used to have to go to the printers and print leaflets and stand outside supermarkets and give them out to people and try and get them to phone us. So use all the things that are free. Keep, you know, keep things the right size and enjoy what you're doing.
0: Talk to your customers and spend your own money. No, yeah, I I agree with that. And you know, the level of flexibility you have at this stage, it's it's also really exciting to be able to move in any direction, try anything you exactly, like. Exactly,
1: because what people don't understand is if you take money in from a startup loan even or a or a person, it, you know, you have to write a business plan of some description in order to get the money in. And you take the money in on a promise that you're going to try and do that thing. So if I say, right, I'm going to open an Italian restaurant, and you invest 50,000 pounds in my Italian restaurant. If I suddenly decide that I want to go vegan, I don't want to cook clams anymore because it's, you know, I've heard the clams crying when they go in the water and it makes me upset. And actually, I want to have a, um, a vegan coffee shop with a crash because I'm pregnant. I have to ask someone's permission. I have to come back to you and defend it and talk about it. I'm not free. As soon as you take other people's money and you, you do lose the freedom, you know, you sign off, you're not in the experimental phase anymore.
0: Yeah, no, I we, we'll talk about uh, equity later and, you know, giving away a piece of your business. I did that for for business, actually, uh, before Vespod, and that failed, actually. And I felt, you know, I was working for someone, I was working for my investor. So I left yes. finance to be on my own and manage my own yeah. business. But actually, no, I was just working for someone. So Obviously, money will accelerate things, but it's, yeah, it's a, some sort of validation. So, yeah, I guess after bootstrapping, that's when you can consider maybe getting more money into your business. Yes. As a second step, if you, now you, maybe you validated some, some assumptions. Soft You really loans. need money. Soft, soft loans. loans. So a soft loan really,
1: yeah, is any loan that is, you get on better terms than you would get from a regular bank loan usually from someone that you're related to or know well the better you know them the better it is for you and you make an agreement like when I say you know soft loan from your family they look at me and they say no one of my family's got any money Um, yeah I can't do that I can't do that it's awkward it's awkward okay no but when you've had the experience that I've had of like 10 years of watch I've had a hundred investors in my business businesses right so I've worked with many, many different characters and different computations, you know, of, of what that means. And I'm telling you that going to your auntie Nora and saying, you know, you promised me, you know, granny's engagement ring. Well, I want to set up a dog walking business and I need 500 pounds. Is there any chance I could have it now? I know that she loved dogs. Uh, You know, please, is there any chance that is less awkward (laughs) than the universe of things that can happen when you take money in from a stranger i'm telling you i'm yeah. telling you it is and ask see if there's you know think often you know it might not be a large amount of money that you need um you can pay it back you know and you can pay it back on terms and you can say i know that you've been saving up you know towards me going to college it doesn't look like i'm going to college now because of covid um i want to do this instead i need 400 pounds to buy hair dryers. Here's, you know, the thing that shows you how much the hair dryers cost. And here's an envelope. And I think that I can do this many blow dries. This is how much money I'll make. And this is when I'll start paying you back. And instead of paying you back 400 pounds, I'll pay you back 440 pounds.
0: Yeah.
1: If what family member, if a younger person in their family comes to them and shows them that envelope, what family member isn't going to want to get behind that? Yes, yeah. that is the next port of call, having an awkward conversation and seeing if there's anyone who you know or in your family who can back you for the amount of money that you need. That would be my next stop.
0: yeah. and the way you, you the way you present it is is so important and, you know, yeah, and it as a serious. Business. yeah, so it's not an awkward money conversation like you know, I need money for for my business. Just be very you know, clear. I want to go
1: on holiday yeah i want to take my i don't want i want to go to florida i want to swim with dolphins it's like yeah well don't we all love whatever (laughs) see you later go and empty the dishwasher (laughs) it's not that it's saying yeah um because i've lost my job i'm thinking about what i can do i know that there's an opportunity to do this i think this is how much i can make and this is what i need to get
0: started yeah so basically first one bootstrapping second one soft loans yeah no one in your family friends want to give you any money you feel it's too awkward there's a third route which is asking money to the government so that's Rans, something i have on my list like grants grants top of my to-do yes. list for yeah three years yeah and each time i, I start writing my application i'm like oh god uh, you know i i can't be bothered it takes too much time so is it a good route how i mean it's not that easy to to do your applications how can you do that Okay so first of all just let's explain what grants
1: are to be really clear in case there's anyone listening the government has certain pastoral responsibilities towards the population with regard to looking after seniors making sure breastfeeding mothers have somewhere to go there's a whole list of things that depending on your political persuasion you may believe are either their responsibility or not and they don't fulfill all of those roles. And what they do in lieu of that is that they locate businesses or projects that are supporting and are ticking off those goals and they give them free money, which is not repayable, okay? So if you can demonstrate that there's a social function in the project or business that you're running, you are more likely to be able to access a chunk of free money in the form of a grant from a government. So you might be sitting and think, oh, that's not for me then. You know, that's not. But actually, sometimes you can sort of shoehorn your business into this sort of socially beneficial bracket. So, for example, say I want to open a bookshop. I'm passionate about books and I love first edition children's stories. And then there's this lovely property and it's got a lovely glass front. And it's my dream. And I want to open it up and say that there's a grant available in my area for people who um, support children's literacy. I could say I could hire a children's literary expert to, you know, run a phonetic reading group there twice a week. Give him my grant, get 50 grand, you know, free money from the government, pay the phonetics expert 12 and keep the change to keep the bookshop open. Great. Yeah. Also, sometimes you'd be surprised at what the pots of money are attached to. So, for example, I gave this example, and this is a grant that is currently available that is live. There's pots of money going if you are doing a project that restores a historic building and makes it available to the public. Well, that sounds very posh, flow. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm about to reach and change the channel. Well, don't change the channel because masses and masses of cafes and dog walking drop-in centres or um, things like that are occupying unused, unserviced Victorian lavatories around London and around the South Coast. I live on the South Coast and there's masses of them and they're absolutely marvellous. They used to be loos when my dad was a kid and then they stopped looking after them. People misuse them and they brick them up. So if you want to find an old public loo and do it up and turn it into a cycling cafe or a knitting club or an art, you know an art center the government would be free money to do that amazing there is the downside that the forms that you have to fill in are absolutely odious and it's very easy to just give up i find them difficult and i just sort of flick through them i don't you know i don't drive myself crazy some people spend days and days on them i tend to just sort of spray and pray as, as you know i cover most of the criteria for that just fill it in and whack it out and see what happens The the other piece of advice is that it is hard to find out when these pots of money are becoming available. There's a real worker who I recommend called Hannah, and she has a small not-for-profit business called Small Change. And she helps small businesses find loans and she charges sort of a small amount or nothing. So find Hannah, Small Change. And also my second tip is just that The government website, www.gov.uk has a a search function, a grants search function. The other thing is that if you're listening from the Isle of Orkney or from a remote area, great, because often the government make this stuff available in remote regions that need a bit of help. So if you're outside London the more remote, the more likely you are to be able to pick up one of these nice little free pots of money. And again, they're not repayable. It's free money.
0: That's awesome. I'm definitely going to start my application and I'll, I'll, I'll add all the, all the links on, uh, in, in, the, in the resources. If, the and podcast. if
1: anyone's listening who has successfully won a grant, message me on Instagram or email me and I'll send you a prize. I love it. Oh, I nice. love it when people take that money because do you know what happens if we don't claim it? government take it back right so you get a Tory MP saying oh blah 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 we're doing you know we're we're making 10 million pounds available in grants for breastfeeding mothers if we don't claim it they just get it back and they spend more on their
0: lunches so go and get the money everyone get it get it number four Fleur I have reward crowdfunding so I mean Very recently, I actually helped my local bakery. I love these guys. Yeah. And they're, you know, buying the coffee next door, expanding. Uh, I get like 10 free loaves of bread. Uh, Very fresh. I love it. So, and I see them every day. So this is actually really cool to support your, you know, local people. So what is uh, reward crowdfunding and how you can use it? Reward crowdfunding is an absolutely
1: brilliant idea. The reason I love it is it's such a simple idea that has made such a dramatic impact on so many people i also love it because it's really democratic no. it's not you know in place by it's not an institution that benefits from this it's person to person it's if you if you're not sure what it is if you think of like a dating website it's sort of it's, it's sort of on that model it's um Various, there's different websites, there's different platforms, Crowdfunder or Kickstarter or Indiegogo are the famous big ones, but there's lots of different ones. And you make a pitch page, which will like typically have a video on or some photographs. And you talk about what it is you want to use the money for. So your bakery is expanding and you want to buy a new sourdough machine or you want to do this or do that. or You want to open up the back in the garden so that people can come there and sit outside and eat their cinnamon rolls, socially distanced with a pagoda over the top. What's not to love about that? Right. You put it up there. And you say, okay, if you give me 15 pounds, you get an extra sprinkle of cinnamon on your cinnamon roll. And if you give me a thousand pounds and buy the Pagoda, then we'll spray paint your name on it and we'll love you forever. You know, there's this kind of different- Where is your pitch floor? We need your page. (laughs) So many of these things. My main tip would be, the caveat with this is that it's incredible that we have free access to this tool. It's an ingenious tool. It's really, really special but because it's so good and so easy to use it's also very noisy there's a lot of people on that and just like being on insta it's exactly the same as instagram you know you can you can fly or you can feel like you're just you know in the crowd and you're just um you know a backing singer for someone else's song and that can be hard and my tip to be heard would be to understand that this platform is about storytelling We're so passionate about our dream, the way we talk about it, but it's our dream. You know, you have to make it someone else's dream. You have to make it, you know, belong to everyone and make the story something that's meaningful to other people so they get behind you. You have to pull at the heartstrings a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I guess if you have an existing community, that's that's quite a good route because your followers. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. And we'll talk about equity crowdfunding uh, Mm a bit later, but. Now that we've looked at, you know, the this free uh, free money where you don't have to give up, you know, any percentage of your business uh, or actually are not costing you a lot in, in interest. What is your fifth point around like, you know, government loans, maybe? Government loans. Well,
1: I'm actually <laughs> I'm actually quite in favor of government loans, particularly yeah. the startup loan. And the bounce back loan, although, you know, I'm hearing on the grapevine that these are getting a bit harder to get at the moment, the banks. So there's a bit of a backlog and people are struggling a little bit. In principle, the government loans still are lent to you through a bank. You have to borrow the money, not the business. It's not the money isn't lent to the business. It's lent to you. You sign for it. It is repayable at interest and the terms are not that much better than a standard bank loan. They're a little bit better. So what's the difference? Why bother? Why bother with these things? There's a big difference and the difference is that if you take a a bank loan from Lloyd's bank and your business goes bust and you can't pay it back and you phone them up and you say, Oh, hello, Mrs. Jenkins, Fleur Emery here. My business has gone bust. Can't pay back the loan. What are my options? And there's one option, pay back the loan. Okay, that's the only option. And if I fail to achieve that option, the debt gets handed to a collection agency, or just a posh name for a bailiff, and yeah. they come around to my house and they take the TV. <laughs> and it's very scary and very odious. And I have been in that situation when we had my sister's house, as we we used to my sister's house to secure a loan in our first business. Mm-hmm. And when the recession came, the bank closed our overdraft with a month's notice and said, you know, you have to pay back the money. And it was an agreed overdraft. It was large, yeah. but it was agreed. They said, you have to pay it back or we're coming for your sister's house. And um, yeah, it was really, a really, really scary experience. My family are quite comfortably off. My dad's a dentist, you know, we're not skint, but the amounts of money by then, four or five years into a business, I couldn't just go around and say, oh, dad, can you, I think it was about 60 grand or something. Yeah, It was terrifying. Yeah. This is why I feel so passionately about this, like that people should not get into those situations. And if you're thinking of doing that, message me, email me, and I will Zoom call you and explain to you how you can find a different option. So if the same thing happens with the government loan, which on the outside, it seemed to be like the same loan. It still came from the bank. The terms weren't that different. It seemed to be the same. What happens then is you phone up and you say, hello, Mrs. Jenkins, my name is Flora Marie. Business has gone bust. <laughs> I can't pay back the money. Would it be okay if I paid 10p a week for the rest of my life? And they'll say, yes, it would. Yeah, that okay. would be okay. The other thing that they'll say, and that I did say this and it worked, I had a startup loan and I owed about, I think, seven grand. Yeah. And I said, I haven't got seven grand, but I've got 4,600 that I can pay to you now. How about that? How about I pay you 4,700? And then we just like, can you just let me off the rest? And they said, oh, let me just tip, tip, tap on the computer. Okay. They took a haircut on it and took the money, but they did give me the option of paying a very low amount, I think a hundred pounds a month or something, kind of forever. And I did also say on the phone when I took out that loan, I asked them directly, I said, Does the government ever use collection agencies to collect these loans? No, because if you think about it, it's like the worst Daily Mail story ever, isn't it? You know, yeah. government gives loans to small business to help them out of a hole and then puts them in, out on the street. Yeah, it's a big, big difference. So, government loans, I'm in favor of but not necessarily bank loans. I'm
0: definitely against bank loans. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's an option for you guys, but um, yeah, just make sure you understand, you know, what you get yourself into. Next, if we go back to equity. So, you know, we've talked about debt a little bit. We talked about reward crowdfunding. (laughs) What's the equity crowdfunding? So it's completely different from the reward one, actually. How does it work?
1: Well, you make the pitch in the same way. It's a similar process. You make a business plan, you tell people what you're planning to do, you tell them what things you've got ticked off, what you've got in place, and you sell shares in your company in return for money from multiple investors. So you might have 60 people who put five grand in each and you give them a little packet of shares in your company. So they own part of your business then, and the main things that you have to realize before undertaking this is, first of all, until your business has a kind of a proven concept, you won't be able to list on one of these sites anyway. So you, okay. where I come from in Portsmouth, there's an expression I'm getting a bit previous. It's a bit previous to think that you can just go on there and sort of get money at the beginning of a project. You know, you have to have a live project, customers, repeat customers, a brand, an identity, a voice. You know, you have to have, you know, usually been six months or a year in with sort of a lot of stuff going right. Also, you need to have spent all your money and investors want to see that. You can't go in and say, I want 150 grand of your money, but I haven't put any in of my own because that makes them nervous. They like to see that you've suffered a little bit and that you've taken your kids out of private school or you've sold the house or you've taken a lodge you're in. They definitely like to see that, that you're in pain before they put their hand in their pocket. In general, my opinion is that taking in lots of smaller amounts of money from lots of shareholders is a good thing compared to taking a chunk of money from one person. It just kind of spreads the risk over if you have someone who you have a personality clash with. If you just take a big chunk from one person, you know, it's quite, it makes, there's a lot riding on that relationship. And unless you happen to find someone who's a perfect match for you and is really aligned, you know, potentially it can be quite bad. I generally advise against taking a large amount of money and from someone you don't know unless you're you know you've been around the block a bit and you've you know you've got some experience under your belt and you're feeling like you can you know you, they're really the right person for you
0: and when you when you do your equity crowdfunding campaign I mean many of my my friends went through this route and actually they were saying it's it's important maybe to have a lead investor. So yeah, you have negotiate to negotiate a require deal on the that, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They'll, they'll require. There's two main equity crowdfunding platforms in the UK. CrowdQ, which was the first to market. They started in, Ex, in Exeter. That's who I did my first raise with, with Green and Pleasant, the beer company. I was one of their first startups to raise they've always been very innovative, very, they've grown very aggressively. They're just really fun. They've tried lots of different things. They're quite a wild, amazing company, actually. And then a second one called Cedars, who came in a bit later and were a bit more sort of grown up, a bit more sort of John Lewis. They had a different share structure. They sort of, yeah, they they just had a sort of a slightly different flavour and a couple of weeks ago they've announced that secretly these they've merged it was quite yeah. i was quite surprised it was, I was like a surprise i know yeah, it's quite an surprised. unlikely
0: couple so and I think they didn't really like each other. <laughs> Usually, obviously, you like, like the other. competitors, know. very different
1: strategies. I but. know. And so we're fascinated to see what they do. But yeah. yeah, generally, you know, you have to have about 40% of it in the can, ready to go, you know, ready to, to put that money in the hat straight out of the gates. And again, because otherwise... these sites they do work off a sort of algorithm thing and if you have a pitch which hasn't got any money on by day three you know it just goes down the ratings no one sees it you know there is a sense of you know momentum and about moving the project forward and keeping it in people's mind sort of FOMO those kind of things it's quite an art form you know making a lively campaign that fills really quickly I worked on the pip and nut campaign and we filled that in about two days I think and that was like one of the quickest ones my one, my original beer one, I think took about two or three weeks. Yeah, it's really fun. That it's a really fun way to raise money. One of the reasons it's really great is that these businesses come under the jurisdiction of the the governing body for like the FSA, the FCA,
0: FCA. Financial occasionally Authority. Occasionally change Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What it What it means is that the Financial Services Authority do the due diligence on these businesses and they're responsible. Crowdcube is responsible for checking that every claim that I make checks out. The reason that's important is that if that wasn't the case, every one of my 60 potential investors would ask me for proof of everything that I've claimed. So you only have to show the proof once to Crowdcube instead of having to show it 100 times to 100 people. Yeah. So it makes the process a lot quicker, a lot pacier from the founder's point of view. That wasn't the case in the in the beginning. You know,
0: They've come into the fold in a way. And just on, on this, I mean, obviously these platforms take a percentage uh, of the money yeah. you're It's you're not raising. too bad to be honest. The cost? I personally really do, yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of people roll their eyes and they don't
1: but I think you get good value and I think you know they earn their money if you use your relationship with them well and you get advice and they help you do a good raise you know you can you know it's just build that relationship work with them make them earn their money they will you'll do a good raise they'll be happy you'll be happy and it's around six percent something like that
0: yeah and, and They're quite hands-on. It's like a, you yeah, know, like having an investment bank working. I mean, uh, yeah, working on I your side and great.
1: Yeah, they know what they're talking you. about. They know. You know, they they want you to win. They know if you do this, this is likely to happen. Just pay attention, do what you're told, and get the money.
0: Yeah, great. So now we move up the chain and we go to uh, angel investing. The problem for me is that
1: I would say novice founders don't always understand the complex motivations of investors so we get really excited by our project we're making this thing we love it everyone's loving it We're thinking wow this is amazing! it helps so many people everyone loves it look they want to buy it too they want to buy it too it's great and so we we think that when people want to invest in it because they care as much about it. no one cares about it as much as we do no one okay even if they say they do Maybe their values are aligned. You know. Maybe if you're lucky, you get someone who cares about organic dog food or whatever it is that you're crazy about. But they care more about making money. That's why they're rich and you're not. That's why you need one, right? Otherwise, you'd use your own money. And what they want to do is work out how fast and how big your business will grow when they can sell their shares and when they can make more money that is their main concern, that is their raison d'etre. And we have to like be grown up about that and understand that. And what that actually means is that yes, they'll be smiling, they'll be excited, they'll be talking about their dog and they'll be talking about this and that. But as soon as their money transfers into your company bank account, I did a slide on this on Instagram, the clock is ticking like in Peter Pan, the the crocodile circling around you and they are tapping it, and it's like growth, 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 exit. That's, you know, it's very rare. Occasionally, you meet these incredible, you know, really modern, philanthropic, amazing investors. You know, I have heard of that. You know, I've got a few friends who have got terrific investors who, you know, who really want to change the way people buy things. It's unusual. It's no accident they're so rich, put it that way. It
0: that way yeah yeah um approach so with caution approach with caution what about uh dilution maybe that's something we didn't discuss i mean how i know it can be a long conversation but how do you you value your business and set you know the entry price for for these investors on the equity crowdfunding or angel investing so prior to the kind of financial revolution that happened
1: after the last recession After my first business, when crowdfunding was basically invented and the sort of independent business boom occurred prior to that, in the bad old days with my first business, I could have a porridge product that was selling 7000 units in Waitrose a month and on five airlines and winning international travel awards But not making a profit, obviously, because these businesses don't usually go into profit until like around 18 months in, if you're lucky. Go to an investor and they can say, Oh, your business is worth nothing, because they'll just use an old-fashioned formula that is used to calculate the value of Nestle. Right. So back in those days, it was hard to defend any valuation that you know you just get sort of waved across and it was maddening. Happily, what happened when crowdfunding existed is that. Niftier, younger investors came along who understood notional values of branding, of audience, you know, of um, community, so community, yeah. social media reach, you know, potential. What in poker is called, imp, you know, implied odds. You know, the the amount of money you could win if, not just the amount of money that you know you're winning now. So, very tasty entrepreneurs started just saying right it's worth this much if you want and it's worth this much with Pippa Nut when we did hers she was just selling peanut butter at Maltby Street market and maybe whole foods and we said oh the business is worth half a million quid because it's going to be massive and uh, it turned out with hers it was <laughs> she was right okay but at that point you know people were looking into the future and they just looked at her And they had to decide whether they thought that valuation was credible or not. So going on to crowdfunding platforms and looking for businesses which are similar to yours, is a really, really good way of like benchmarking what you think your business could be worth. And in terms of what you think it could be worth in the future, at the point of acquisition by a third party, then you need to sort of get really get your sleuthing head on get onto the internet and try and find similar businesses that were sold on and try and find out how much they were sold for and what their turnover was in the final year when they were sold. And then you can sort of work out an industry average. So, for example, in Branded Food, which was my space, I looked at um, a honey business that had been sold to Rouse. I looked at the transaction when Innocent sold to Coke. And what I found was that they were acquired at averagely two to three times final year revs. So that meant if I said, right, in five years time, I'm gonna sell my porridge company for 10 million pounds because that year I'm gonna be able to sell 5 million pounds worth of porridge, that then seems credible because there's other examples in the market. That's the simplest way to value your business in my experience.
0: Thank you, Fleur, super useful. And then two more options that maybe we, we, Avoid. You know, we should touch on. Reach for
1: the button underneath, yep. like this is a guy in the Simpsons, release the hounds, <laughs> Or we'll send them down the bad egg chute. China and chocolate factory. Venture capitalists, don't bother. Listen. Joint if, venture and VC. <laughs> yeah. uh, jo- joint venture, I'm up for. VCs, yeah. let, not, let's knock them off the conversation first. Venture capitalists, by the time they're sniffing around you, you'll be grown up enough to know what they are and know how to handle it. That's the good news. If you're not and you're early stage, and they sniff around you, just watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory again and think of Slugworth. That's kind of that's kind of them. Oh, but some of them are women. Yes, they are. Listen, listen. I you know I joke, but. There's a lot of, there's a lot of them like that. Some, there's some modern VC firms, which are incredibly forward thinking and they invest in green tech and women. And sometimes they're women in VC groups. Great. Often they're not. Often they're just very rich people who are acquisitive and they look for high growth businesses and they put their money in and then they reduce cost of sales and they pump the company and then they sell it. That's often like what's happening. If that's your bag, and you want to do that and make a fortune, then fill your boots. The kind of people I work with and the, who I care about and who I'm around, you know, freelancers, small business owners, that's nothing to do with us. Good.
0: Great. Right. If you want to have a positive overview about venture capital, you can listen to our, to our episode with uh, with June Angelides, and she's also you know. There
1: are, um, I mean, they they do exist, yeah. and I'm glad you found yeah, yeah. them. You know, and. Once you get to that stage, when you need VC funding, you know, target the good ones. Don't wait to be chosen. You do the choosing and find women like that and talk to them and go via, you know, trusted people. Don't just sit on the bench at the side of the dance and wait to be chosen because it's a piranha pool. Women who have navigated that successfully with their values intact and are making money that way are rare, but they do exist and find them.
0: Yeah. Talk to them
1: just quickly about joint venture you know there's a lot of talk about angel investment and how tricky it can be and a jv can be a really great way to avoid that so say you are scaling a business and what typically happens is often there's a supplier or there's another person's business you who, who that becomes your business is reliant on them often there's a business that comes and there's a kind of a symbiotic relationship so for example one of my real workers is rosa bloom and she makes sequined festival wear and she buys masses and masses of sequins off from a sequin manufacturer okay masses and so she has a really close working relationship with that company or you might have an app you know i'm hoping to make real work into an app And that will be a deep, long-term relationship with the tech people who make that app for me. So what happens is what you can do as an option is go to that business and say, okay, listen, instead of me going to an angel investor and getting 150 grand to pay you 100 grand to make the app, and then we've both got that angel investor hanging around waiting to get rich, how about I pay you less money for the app and you have some shares in my company and we have an open pricing policy where we look at everything we're paying and spending and we just open it all up and we work on a basis of like what's reasonable and we create something where there's a mutual interest in it working. So for example, a brewery, I had a JV with the brewery who were making the lager product that I was producing there wasn't many breweries in the UK who could make it the way I wanted. It. it had really high production values. And so I made them a shareholder in the business. And in return, they gave me some admin support. They gave me some free delivery. They gave me a cheaper manu- you know, manufacturing cost and everything's a winner. And then if I do well and go away and do my bit and do all the branding and selling, then, you know, they do well because they make money. That yeah. can be, that can be great. And I would say to people, don't be afraid to suggest those things and negotiate them. It's not, you know, you don't have to know the jargon. You definitely don't have to have been to business school. All you do is smile at them and you say, it's looking like my relationship with you is really important now. (laughs) You know, I really need you and I'd really like this to work. How does it look for you? How can we agree something that's good for both sides? Yeah. Yeah. and it's it's a modern way to do business and I like it. I'd recommend it.
0: I like it. Thank you, Fleur. I mean, these 10 ways to get money into your business are extremely useful. We'll do a summary for you guys. Fleur, before you go, I have some quick fire questions for you. Top three financial goals.
1: I don't really have any. I don't. Um, I pay my kids school fees off. That would be nice. one. I'd really like to be able to do like a few... I've I've had quite an easy ride like my dad was a dentist you know I went to a really nice school I've had you know I went to a university and studied some pretty wacky things which have no practical application I did some Latin American revolutionary Marxism a bit of archaeology that kind of thing a lot of navel naval gazing I'd quite like to have enough money to sponsor other you know to give other women a free ride yeah. or whatever that looks like you know Love that. that would be good because you know I've had a I've had a I've had a good time in that way. I've been lucky.
0: So we'd love you to have more money so you can yeah, sponsor pass on. many many women. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's that the way. The, I mean that's why we want more feel you know, good. women yeah. starting businesses, making money from their businesses, so they can share and they can you know help other women.
1: Yeah.
0: Best financial decision you've ever made.
1: Well, I know the worst? Which is the next question, right? When I was young and in in inexperience, I did a Consolidation loan at the bank. What a crock of shit that was. I was young, I was like getting overdrawn and credit card here and then they say put it all on a bank loan and then it's all in one place. It's easy to manage. And then you just start working up another one.
0: Yeah.
1: So that was really bad. Best financial decision I've ever made. When I stopped drinking, I'm a I'm an alcoholic drug addict and I'm clean 20 years and the, yeah. And when I stopped drinking and using drugs and changing the way I felt, all my finances changed and worked out and I've been, everything's been fine ever since. So in fact, <laughs> the best decision, the best financial decision I ever made was to stop taking drugs and drinking.
0: That's a good one. What is the financial independence for you?
1: I'm such an independent person. You know, I've never lived with a man. I've never had anyone else paying money into my account you know, I do have the comforts and benefits of you know having a family who give me a safety net, but no one pays money into my account. So I've been financially independent for a long time. So that's quite normal for me. No way.
0: Yeah. And the thing you spend the most money on?
1: Fabric. I've got. I've got a. Um, yeah, I like f- um, cashmere or vicuna, even better. Like cashmere blankets, cashmere nice. expensive bedding. I'm a, I'm a minimalist, so it's not like I'm not a hoarder. I've got a one in one out policy, but um, I have a lot of scruffy clothes that look like Charlie Chaplin, but they're all, you know, started off in, in Italy and were like, uh, 4,000 quid 20 years ago, Wow, nice, that, that nice. kind of thing. So yeah, expensive old threadbare
0: cashmere. Thank you so much, Fleur. What, do you want to tell me what's, uh, what's next for you and for, and for real work? growing we're growing it we want more people to get the
1: benefit for it real work is like um, a community that you can have in your pocket The, the time that I realized it was magic when I first started doing it you know there's all this talk about coaching at the moment I don't see myself as a coach and when I opened it I thought is that what it's going to be like me teaching people but it's actually not it's democratic and I learn stuff and everyone brings their experience and there's people who have got you know, we've got a shoemaker in there who's got a pair of shoes that are in the v and and, you know, is in Vogue magazine. And we've got 60% of people in there are freelancers who are earning sort of two or three grand a month, sort of grinding it away and working around families. So it shouldn't really work, but it really does <laughs> because everyone just shows up and everyone supports each other. Oh my gosh, I absolutely love it. And I'd like more women to have access to it. And I'd I'd like to make it into an app so that can happen.
0: So great. Where where do we find you online? Do um, real do, yeah, work? do
1: real.work. And on Instagram, there's a new term opening up on December the 1st. It has like a three-month rolling term system. So you can join for three months. Or we have a, a newsletter called The Real Worker that comes out fortnightly, and we have a Real Worker Writes That, Sarah Arkel. She's an absolute newsletter whiz. We've got a feeble podcast, which isn't as good as yours. I need needs a bit of attention. So maybe don't go there. But Instagram, Instagram, there's masses and masses of resources that I put on Instagram. So um, the free stuff's there or pay up and join in the fun.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Flora, for joining me today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of seconds to rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our community on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe to our newsletter on Vespot.com. Feel free to email me with your comments and questions over at emily at Vespot.com. Thank you. Speak to you soon.